Hello, and thank you for joining us for the Hatchbend Apostolic Church web broadcast. In our society today, some, and yes, sadly, maybe even most, question the value of preaching in their lives. But we still believe what Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. In essence, Paul preached that God has chosen the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. And so that's why we still place such a high value on the preached word of God in agreement to the scripture. And so now I'd like to thank you again for joining us for a message from the pulpit of Hatchbend Apostolic Church. God will pour out His Spirit beyond our reconcile. Praise the Lord. Go with me this morning to the book of John chapter 10. We're going to continue our series this morning, The Great I Am. And our title this morning of our lesson that I'm going to preach from is, I Am the Good Shepherd. How many are thankful today for a good shepherd? Since Jesus is the good shepherd, we can trust him to empower us for his purposes. I know it's been said before, but he's never going to call us or send us without equipping us. He will make absolutely sure that wherever we go, whatever we do, he'll make us ready. But I fear that the problem and the epidemic that we are facing today is there's some who want the call. And I'm not specifically speaking about a pulpit ministry. I'm talking about any work in the kingdom of God. There's some that want the call. They see the call. They desire the call. They're standing there ready to accept the call. But they don't want to work for the call. And to be involved in the kingdom of God and to win souls, you are going to have to work at the calling and the position that God puts you in. And when we do that, when we do that, he will equip us and he will empower us to do the work to accomplish his will in our life. Everybody have John chapter 10? Go with me to verse 11. I am the good shepherd, and the good shepherd giveth his life for the sheep. Father, I love you. So thankful for the privilege to be in this house. Thankful for this word, God, that you've allowed us to break open today. I know, God, that this word has long been anointed. But what I'm asking today is that you anoint my mind, anoint my lips, anoint us as a congregation to receive what you would speak into our life. Make this word applicable. Let this firm foundation that we stand upon, let this word be applied to it, that we can face any circumstance, any challenge that may come our way today. And we thank you for that, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Before you're seated, turn to your neighbor and shake their hand. Amen. Praise the Lord. He had thought about his life in the desert, the singing, the poetry writing, and the heart playing, and constantly praying and meditating on the Lord. His vocation 
was simply to take care of the flock of his uh, family. And he'd done this in the surrounding hills of Bethlehem. This shepherd boy had rescued and sheltered his sheep through violent storms and flash floods and kinder weather. He had led sheep to grassy pastures and cool, clear watering holes. He repeatedly counted his flock. He knew each one by name, and they instinctively knew his voice. And he calmed these sheep with his music when they were frightened, and he mended their injuries when they were hurt. Most of all, he kept a careful watch over his sheep, always on the lookout for predators, always on the lookout for thieves. He was his flock's sole protector, and he was willing to give his life at any cost if they were in danger. He had practiced hitting targets with his trusty weapon, which was merely a slingshot, but he was deadly with it. He often defended his sheep from wild animals, even killing a vicious lion and taking the life of a giant bear at one time who had come into the flock. Then one day, David, he heard the voice of his older brother calling him, calling him from a distance. Usually when his brothers called him, it meant that they were going to tease him or joust him about something. But he left the flock anyway in care of one of the hired hands, and he headed to home to see what his brother and family might want. To his surprise, there was Samuel, the revered prophet, and the rest of David's family standing at the house. And David would soon realize that Samuel was on a mission from God to anoint a king. And soon Samuel was anointing David with oil and signifying the role that he would soon be elevated to into shepherding God's people. Time marches on and David was tending to his flock. But wait a minute. He had just been anointed king. I'm supposed to be living in the palace. I'm supposed to be eating from the king's table. I'm supposed to be leading a nation, and I'm supposed to be leading armies into battle. But here I find myself sitting on this rock watching these sheep. I think it's so important for us to Understand that there are things that God has in store for us, but we must learn to receive the anointing, yet abide and wait until. And that until is a hard journey to deal with sometimes, but a calling is a journey, and it's going to take some time to get there. God's timing will be right, and we can't afford the kingdom can afford. The world can't afford for us to get discouraged and mad and take our sucker and go stand in a corner. God needs people that are willing to accept the call upon their life and make the journey to that call. The fields are white. God needs labors. But we have to understand when a calling comes upon our life, it's not an automatic, but there's a process and we have to Trust the process. I can remember years back, and forget the personal reference, but it's all I could seem to muster up in my small mind, but I can remember years back when we first started our prison ministry and jail ministry. We had had 
went through all the red tape and got all our credentials and we was we was gonna go up to the jail and have a a Bible lesson. And uh, I, I can remember Pastor, he had a perfect game plan. The first Sunday, we would just introduce ourselves. We would go on to the wings and let people know who we are and what we were about. And then the following Sunday, we would have a Bible study. Well, all week long, I had prepared. And, and I, had a, I, I had a message. I had some notes. I could have handed them notes off to J.H. Osborne. And he had a blow to pop men's conference out of the water. I had diligently studied. And, I, and I'm not, I always do. I couldn't grasp in my mind where was we going to put all those men at. I didn't see a room big enough to hold all the men that was going to be in our service. And we made that journey up there that Sunday afternoon. And the young lady stepped out on the wing and said, everybody for church, come on. And me and Brother Boyd were standing in a hallway with a concrete bench and two chairs. And two come out for church. Two. Now, don't judge me too harshly this morning, please, but I'm, I was discouraged. You talking about the wind out of my sail? I went home depleted. We had a second opportunity coming soon. We'd go to the Mayo work camp. There's 200 men live there. Surely we can pull half of them. We'll, we'll have 100 in service. We roll in there that Tuesday night, and if I remember right, there's nine. And I said all that to say this. Several months down the road, we got access to the work camp, and I stood at a desk and addressed a congregation of 88 men. And the Lord quickened in my spirit. He says, you couldn't have handled the 88 several months back, but I've had you on a journey, and we can't get discouraged or get defeated in whatever you're doing for the kingdom of God. Don't, don't let the enemy beat you up about how small or insignificant it, it may be because in God's eyes, kingdom work is giant work. And as long as we're doing something for the kingdom of God, God will honor and he will bless it. This anointed King David is, he's tending to his sheep. And his father asked him to take some provisions to his brother. And they're fighting the Philistines in the Valley of Elah. And down at the front line, David, he sees this enormous giant who's bellering out these idle threats toward the children of Israel. And we, we all know the story. Saul tried to dress him up in his warfare. But David takes that slingshot and he runs into the valley to meet the giant and lets him know that you come at me with a sword and a shield, but I come at you in the name of the Lord. One fatal blow lands him on his back, and we know that he beheads him, but David had risked his life so many times for his sheep, and now he had risked his life for God's people. He would lead Israel into many battles, and he would soothe King Saul with his music, and he would compose the 23rd Psalm. David had become Israel's shepherd. He had become their king. If you know the Word of God very well, you know that God has used shepherds throughout the Word of God. God's people, in fact, come from a rich, long-standing heritage of shepherding. This tradition began 
the first generation after Adam and Eve. Although his sibling Cain was a farmer, Abel was a keeper of the sheep. Genesis 4 and 2 says, And she again bare his brother Abel, and Abel was a keeper of sheep, but Cain was a tiller of the ground. Many of the patriarchs were likewise shepherds. Abraham, for example, kept large flocks of sheep and other grazing animals. His son Isaac followed in his footsteps. Unlike his brother Esau was a hunter. But Isaac's son Jacob tended, including a 20-year period overseeing the flocks of his uncle Laban. Even Jacob's wife, Rachel, she was a, a shepherdess, if you will. The Word of God tells us in 29 and 9 of the book of Genesis, And while he yet spake with them, Rachel came with her father's sheep, for she kept them. Jacob first met her at the village well after she was watering her father's sheep. This nomadic pastoral lifestyle, if you will, continued for many generations. Knowing the Egyptians' strong disdain for shepherding or, or flock tending, Joseph advised and counseled um, his family to tell Pharaoh what their occupation was so they would remove them far from Egypt so the Egyptians would not have to smell or deal with the animals. Moses, the Israelites' future deliverer from Egypt, tended his father-in-law's flocks in the desert of Midian. And then we've discussed King David, how his life began as a shepherd, and he rose to prominence as Israel's anointed leader. 2 Samuel 5 and 1 says, All the tribes of Israel to David unto Hebron and spake, saying, Behold, we are thy bone and thy flesh. Also in time past, when Saul was king over us, thou wast he that ledest out and broughtest in Israel. And the Lord said to thee, Thou shalt feed my people, Israel, and thou shalt be a captain over Israel. The psalmist said in chapter 78 and verse 70, He chose David, also his servant, and took him from the sheepfolds. From following the ewes, great with young, he brought him to feed Jacob his people and Israel his inheritance. He chose David. That same shepherd today chooses you and I. Make no mistake about it this morning. You're not here because the alarm clock went off and you got up on time. You're not here because you had a vehicle and could afford the gas to get here. You're not here because of the job you hold or some special pedigree that may come from your family. You are here today because you are hand chosen by God make no mistake about it ladies and gentlemen and I'm not trying to insult anybody here today but not one woman not one child not one man is worthy for to sit in the Lord's presence but because he loves us he chose us he chose us he said many are called many are called but few are chosen I'm thankful today to be one of the chosen ones that he's called today. Many years later, God would similarly call Amos from sheep breeding to serve as a powerful prophet to Israel. The Word of God tells us in Amos 7 and 14 that Amos answered and said to Amaziah, I was no prophet, neither was I a prophet's son, but I was a herdsman and a gatherer of sycamore fruit. And the Lord took me as I followed the flock, and the Lord said unto me, Go, prophesy unto my people Israel. 
it causes me to wonder why shepherds tend to make good leaders. Why did God continually choose shepherds to make leaders? I think first and foremost, it would obviously be the compassion and love that they have for their flock. Unconditional love. You've got to love people to be in the shepherd business. You've got to love people. And let me say this respectfully. As saints who sit under a shepherd, we've got to love people if we're going to be in the soul business. We've got to love people. Regardless of where they come from, regardless of their status of life, regardless of where they've been or where they're going, if we don't love people, we're failing in the kingdom of God. We're failing. And if, if respectfully I say, if you don't have a love for people, I would not let myself walk out this door today without falling on an altar before God and praying for a passion a passion to love people because in the end, that's the business we're in. We're in the, the people-loving business. Obviously, from what we've covered this morning, shepherding was a challenging vocation. The way of life entailed hard work, sometimes rugged, sometimes harsh conditions. Jacob, for instance, complained to Laban about the harsh realities that he had faced taking care of his animals. He said in Genesis 31 and 38, This twenty years have I been with thee. Thy ewes and thy she-goats have not cast their young, and the rams of the flock have I not eaten. That which was torn of beast I brought not unto thee. I bear the loss of it. My hand didst thou require it, whether stolen by day or stolen by night. Thus I was in the day the drought consumed me and the frost by night. And my sleep departed from mine eyes. Thus I have been twenty years in thy house. I have served thee fourteen years for two daughters, six years for cattle, and you've changed my wages ten times. Shepherd, this shepherding thing's a tough job. They had to be on top of their game, always alert, constantly aware of the surroundings. While this responsibility would typically offer a little way of excitement. This job was anything but boring. It, it, would, it would keep them on their toes. The shepherd had to be ready at a moment's notice to defend the flock as hungry, savage animals grew close. Uh, imagine, you will, this morning being a shepherd, tending to a flock. If we could remove ourselves from this house and perhaps just put ourselves in this field across the pavement there there was 20 head of sheep, and our job was to tend to those sheep. Now, typically, some of us men in here who work are clock watching. About 12 o'clock, that sister's chicken is sounding good. And we can shut that tractor down. Or Brother Darrell, we can lay the hammer down and put the saw down. We go into town to eat. It'll be here when we get back, but not a shepherd. You can eat your lunch in the corner while you watch the sheep. If I could take it one step further, I wouldn't say anything to embarrass pastor this morning, but imagine being a pastor. 
Oh, I know how I'd do it. If it was me, I'd done it that way. Making all the right decisions in the church. Making decisions that's going to impact people's lives forever. I'm not talking about making decisions of whether we're going to pay the light bill or not. I'm talking about making decisions that's eternal. You want to do it your way? You want to be a pastor? Constantly trying to lead the flock from danger. I don't know much about tending sheep. I know a little bit about cows. I know a lot about horses. Cows need, for the most part, somebody to keep them fed and guide them. As long as you provide grass, they'll make it, but they need guidance. A horse is a creature that its only defense is to flee. When there's trouble, it just it runs, it flees. It has no fighting mechanism other than some occasional kicking, but a horse's first instinct is to flee. So when you're on the back of that 1,000 or 1,200-pound animal, his trust and his confidence is in you leading him, guiding him. He has eyes for himself. He has ears for himself. He can, he can see the way to walk. But he's counting on you as you lead him down that road to make sure that nothing comes in harm's way to him. That you don't leave him into dangerous terrain or territory that would hurt him. He's counting on that. I can remember several years ago, I was back here on the river. And I'd had a green horse that I was riding. Uh, for green, that means not broke very well. And I'd been on the ground pen at the house with him. I'd rode him off a time or two from the house. And I thought we was ready. So I loaded him up on a trailer, carried him down here and unloaded, and we rode off. I'd got down in a swamp bottom on a, on a small trail. We was riding along there, and I looked down on the front shoulder. There was a rattlesnake stretched across the path. Rattlesnake never moved. We walked right across the top of him. Horse never seen him. I've watched these Western movies where these cowboys have horses that smell rattlesnakes. <laughs> I turned this green horse around. I said, we're going to recognize this rattlesnake. That snake went up against a tree that was right there and curled up and went to singing like a schoolboy. And I was trying to get that horse to pay attention and smell that rattlesnake. I ain't never smelled a rattlesnake, but I was trying to see if he could. And the noise or the snake itself boogered him. And he backed all up in some palmettas that was behind me. And when he did, there was three more. And I don't know if we'd come up on a bed or it was mating season. So when we come out, of that palmetto patch, how I hung on, I don't know. 
But when we did get to higher ground, I thought to myself, that was, that was ignorant. You know better than that, Jerry. You had the ability to lead him away from danger, but yet you intentionally led him into danger. You put him in harm's way. So when a shepherd is making decisions about our lives, perhaps in counsel, and again, he can clean this up here in just a little bit if needs to be. If decisions are being made, eternal decisions about our life, I have no idea what God has given him in prayer that he's trying to lead me from. And I'm saying, no, this is right. I feel this. Let me stay here a while. And the whole time the shepherd who knows the flock is trying to lead the flock and pull the flock. And we have the responsibility. You and I have the responsibility is on us to adhere to the shepherd. Obey those. Obey those that have rule over you. On judgment day, I'm not going to be able to say, Pastor, why didn't you pull harder? Why didn't you tell me more? But the responsibility of befall me. The imagery of shepherd, and I'll move on quickly. The imagery of shepherd serves as an applicable metaphor for God's love and care for his people. He's always the consummate caretaker with mercy and compassion. Lord, he, he heeds the distressed cries of Israel and he delivers them from slavery. He navigates the flock through rough terrain. He's fed and he's directed them. He's given them sources of water and he's protected them from all their adversaries. Israel's foes whom the Lord has defeated time and time again. He's defeated the Amalekites, the Canaanites, the Amorites, the Bashanites. God also outwitted the Moabite king Balak. The Lord truly saved his people from the hand of them that hated him. And he redeemed them from the hand of the enemy. If we ask ourselves the question, why, why does the Lord, or why would the Lord so frequently employ the occupation of sheep tending as a symbol of his care for us. I think it's easy to see because it's easy to relate and recognize the love and compassion that a shepherd has for his natural flock, whether that be sheep, cattle, or any other type of animal. Again, I, I don't want to embarrass you, Pastor, but of his many wonderful traits, to me, one that always stands out. If somebody asks me, what's the greatest thing about my pastor? Other than his good looks, I tell him his love and compassion for people. He loves people. Jesus Christ is wanting us to get the picture that he loves us unconditionally. And that whatever it may be, whatever the trial, whatever the storm... Whatever the elements that may rage against us, 
He's there to guide us and see us safely through. The Lord rescued many heroes of faith who in turn referred to God as my shepherd. Thus, Jacob sent his son Joseph, who was a shepherd, to find and report back to his brothers who were feeding their flocks. Joseph would suffer many misfortunes under the cruel hands of these jealous siblings. But through it all, God kept his hand on Joseph's life. So Jacob could proclaim at the end his bow abode in strength. The Lord faithfully steered David through harrowing times of discouragement, intrigue, and relentless plots to end his life. David needed the Lord's guide and presence to encourage him and direct him and to strengthen him and to sustain him. David frequently conveyed his gratitude for the Lord's ongoing role as a shepherd. We know that David wrote that he tenderly guided him to green pastures and still waters, and he was a rod and a staff, and he set a table before him. The imagery of a sheep serves as an applicable metaphor for God's people also because sheep are vulnerable creatures. Lack clear sense of surroundings, and we frequently don't even know where they're going. And sometimes as saints, I think we can we can be like that. We have no idea where we're going. They frequently lose their way and they wander off. They have virtually no way to defend themselves and are easy prey for varmints. Sheep desperately, desperately need a caring shepherd. They're totally dependent on their overseer and they're dependent on his protection. And they long for his voice. Without a shepherd, simply put, sheep scatter. First Kings 22 and 17 said, And I saw Israel scattered upon the hills as sheep that have not a shepherd. And the Lord said, These have no master. Let them return every man to his house in peace. At times, the Lord's people may think they know their own way, uh, but they are sometimes mistaken, profoundly mistaken. Occasionally, we may foolishly believe that we can fend for ourselves. Without God, make no mistake about it, without God, we are lost sheep, wandering aimlessly about in dire straits, and it's easy to get confused or perplexed when we look at the when we look at the world. I believe that it was Asaph that said my I almost my feet almost slipped. We sometimes look at the world and think they seem to be getting by just fine. Look at the truck he's driving. Look at the boat they're pulling. Look at the set of golf clubs on the back of that cart. But behind all the facade is somebody that is lost and wandering aimlessly. On my worst day, I say this shamefully, but I've been at the bottom of the barrel. In the world, I've been at the bottom of the barrel. 
And on my worst day, living for the Lord is, is far better than anything that I could ever imagine or dream that the world may have to offer. Sister Donna used to, Sister Donna used to sing the song, or still sings the song. I try to hum it myself, not nearly as good as her, but I try to hum it myself about once a week. It's a good life. It's a good life living for the Lord. You ever wondered why it's so easy to forget how much we truly depend upon the Lord? I think in part it's because God is so good to us that we forget what it's like to suffer. Children of Israel had manna and cried for leeks and onions in Egypt. I think we forget sometimes where God may have brought us from or what he kept us from that we don't even know about. And I don't want to ever want to forget where God has brought me. Not just that, but, but I th- I'm thankful for what God done for me. I'm thankful for what he's doing for me today, and I'm thankful for what he's going to do to me for me tomorrow. While the Lord reigns supreme as the chief shepherd, he has appointed under-shepherds to help his flock. He has entrusted direct care of his people to anointed human leadership. God has raised up. Various types of ministers, including pastors, to assist in the oversight of feeding the flock. He has compassionately supplied pastors according to his heart, which shall feed us or feed you with knowledge and understanding, Jeremiah said. Fittingly, the term pastor closely relates to the words for sheep or shepherding. A pastor is someone who... Um, therefore, who serves as a trusted guide or a guardian, if I may use that word, to God's precious people. God's plan. God's plan is for you and I to have a pastor. We've got to have someone to feed our soul and to be a leader and guide us. Now, we need to be held accountable. But I need a guide in my life. I, I need a, a, a sounding board in my life. I need somebody to keep me in check. I need somebody that will come to me and say, hey, 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 you out of line, and you need to get that fixed. If I don't, I'm not trying to embarrass you, if I don't have that with him, I need to find a place, an altar to get to and not get up till I do have that with him. We need some checks and balances in our life and we need a pastor that leads us. I may not always agree, but that's not for me to decide. My job is to follow. The decisions he would, will make will be between him and God. I'm not trying to be rude or crude this morning. But most of us got up this morning with anticipation of coming to church, participating in the service, and receiving something. Is that that a safe assumption? Most of us this morning didn't didn't toil for hours over the week, 
trying to put together a sermon or two sermons or three sermons. Most of us this morning hadn't made 19 trips to the hospital. Most of us this morning hadn't been to the Swanee River Ace Hardware 13 times this week to fix something here. And when the lights are out, most of us will go home. But can I tell you this morning that on a shepherd, there's a heavy weight. A heavy weight that resides. And that weight is seldom ever listed. On rare occasions, very very rare occasions, it's sad, but some leaders lose their sight. And sadly, some have failed to understand their role. Some shepherds turn out to be hirelings in disguise and they carry out their roles with impure motives and abandon the flocks. I thank the Lord every day that we don't have a hired hand that stands behind this desk. I thank him every day for a man of God that goes before the flock. And if you've heard nothing I say today, I'll ask you to hear this. We must. If you can't pray but for two minutes a day, and I'm not knocking that. If you can't pray but for two minutes a day, you make sure that two minutes is for him and our first lady. You make absolutely sure that you call his name in prayer, that you call our first lady's name in prayer. How many face opposition from the enemy? Uh, Everybody, everybody. Well, I'd submit to you today, you take your worst opposition, you take your, uh, your worst trial, if I may be so bold to say that, and you times it times ten. Because he's, he's in battle for me. Not only is he in battle for himself and his family, he's in battle for me and you. And the enemy is raging war. And we have a responsibility as a flock, as the sheep, to pray. I'm trying to come to a close. The comforting news was that in the person of Jesus... God himself would come and tenderly oversee his people. He shall, Isaiah said in 40 and 11, He shall feed his flock like a shepherd, and he shall gather the lambs with his arm and carry them in his bosom and shall gently lease those that are young. Under Jesus Christ, God's people would have one shepherd over them. Many of Israel's leaders turned out to to be ruthless predators. But Jesus, he he was no ordinary caretaker. He was the door of the sheep, providing a way of salvation, and he knows each of the sheep by his name. No wonder the author of Hebrews referred to Jesus as the great shepherd of the sheep. In closing, he sat in front of Jesus on a beach, And it felt very awkward and miserable, even somewhat painful. 
He began to mull over his wretched cowardliness. He had remembered the bitter moment that the rooster began to crow and he had forsaken the Lord in his most desperate time of need. Three times, three times Peter denied the Lord. And then all of a sudden, the shepherd's voice interrupted Peter's memories and unstartled him. And three times Jesus asked Peter if he truly loved him. After each instance of Peter reaffirming his deep devotion and loyalty, Lord, you know I love you. Jesus simply said, feed my sheep. What could he mean by this? Jesus explained that when Peter was young, he did as he pleased, but one day the authorities would take him into custody and he would pay the ultimate price for his faith. And Like Jesus, Peter too would stretch out his arms on a Roman cross. But through countless trials on that journey to that faithful and final ordeal, Peter was to trust and follow the shepherd no matter what. As an apostle to the Jews, Peter would serve Jesus by being a good under-shepherd and compassionately tending to the flock, entrusted to his care and giving his life and soul for these precious blood-bought sheep. One day as Peter reflected on his approaching death, he wrote his beloved church informing them that must put off this my tabernacle even as our Lord Jesus Christ has showed me. Just as Jesus had delegated his protection and nurture of his church to his commissioned spirit-led apostle, Peter, too, had to pass on the mantle to a trustworthy minister who was to feed the flock of God and protect them. Like Jesus, Peter committed the task of shepherding the overseers who were to be examples of grace and humility and courage and not pursuing their calling out of a love for money or fame or power or fortune but pursuing the calling out of a love for the sheep. As Peter put down his pen for the last time, he recalled the admonition of his beloved co-worker Paul who had loyally served his commission to the Gentiles. Paul wisely advised that stewards who faithfully superintended the church and labored in the word were worthy of double honor. These under-shepherds were risking their lives to care for the flock while waiting patiently for the chief shepherd to appear. Can we stand this morning? All of us are gathered here today to worship and magnify the Lord, and in life we too are waiting patiently for the Christ shepherd to appear. But in doing so, he said, tarry until I come. We have a responsibility, and that responsibility is to walk in uh, to this world and be a light, to be an example, and to help people understand the love and compassion that Jesus Christ has for the lost. And I'll say it one more time. We are in the soul-winning business. And to win souls, you must love souls unconditionally. Can we lift our hands across the house this morning? Father, thank you, Jesus, for the privilege Thank you for the privilege to be here. This message has been brought to you today by the media ministry of Hatchbend Apostolic Church. 
We pray that it's ministered to you in some way, and we'd like to take this opportunity to invite you to join us in service here at Hatchbend Apostolic. Our Sunday services begin at 10 a.m. and our Wednesday night service at 7.30 p.m. For any more information or to speak with our ministry staff, please feel free to call our church office at 386-935-2806 or you can visit the contact link here on our website. Again, thank you for listening and we pray God's richest blessings on you and your family.